Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective. And this is part two, lesson number two, 10, which is the last lesson of this part. There is a part three of our motive. It's how to live a life with pure motives. That's coming uh, in the very near future. So this is the final lesson. I've been talking about, in all of part two, I've been talking about shame and its effect upon our motives. And there's been such a spirit of conviction and a wooing of the Lord trying to draw each and every one of us to the place of letting him deal with each layer of shame in our lives until we finally become whole. If you get frustrated with the process and you're upset with God because you thought he already fixed you, then you're missing the point. I call, told about in the very first lesson of part two about my personal experience and how I was first delivered from shame. Uh, I didn't really realize how much more there was, and I didn't even use the word shame, beginning, beginning immediately almost because I wanted to let the Lord use me to give what I had received because it was revolutionary, life-changing. I began to minister on what I called inner healing from a verse that I'm going to read to you in just a few minutes, uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And uh, I began to minister. I ministered for nine years on that. Uh, a minister friend of mine uh, in late... Uh, 2000 or 1990, late 1992, had a young man that uh, uh, was in his church. He had, none of his family had ever been saved. And uh, this young man was just really loved God, was doing the best he could. But he was caught involved with uh, sexual activity with an eight, he was 23, I believe, and he was involved with an 18 year old boy. In the church, he was caught in that situation. Well, the boy's family was in senior leadership, and they wanted this guy's head. They blamed it all on him, and uh, they wanted his head. And the pastor called me and said, look, he can't stay here right now. He's a good guy. God loves him. I don't know what's wrong with him. I don't know how to fix this. I know God's used you in this. Uh, can he come there, and would you help him? I said, sure, I'll, I'll do what I could. And so... The young man started coming to our services, and I, I counseled with him. And I asked him, what happened to you as a child? And he said, when he was 15 years old, he was physically tied up and repeatedly raped by a drunken uncle with him screaming and begging for the man to not do this. And so I talked to him about how to be healed over the over that, and to the best of my knowledge at that point. And... Uh, Sometime later, I don't remember if it was a couple of months. He'd been coming for a while, three, four months, whatever it was. Uh, it was a Sunday night, February the 15th, 1993. Uh, in our services, rather than doing prayer requests, we actually pray one for another. And if you have a need or what, no matter what the need is, you could come or stand where you are and, and we would lay hands on you. Or you could stand in for somebody else and we would pray for you. This particular occasion, I had everybody that had a need come down front. This was right in the middle of service before I preached, whatever, and before offering or anything and announcements. And uh, I have 
done a lot of training of, of to people about how to minister and pray for others. And so normally in that kind of situation, I would stay on the platform and uh, I would check in the spirit about what was going on and see what needed encouragement or help or correction or whatever so that I'd know how to help the saints become more proficient and also to see who was getting what they needed and if I could feel what would might be preventing them. Well, the young man uh, came down to the front. Uh, his name was Tom. And uh, he, uh, two of my most senior experienced men were praying with him, and I felt comfortable with that. They didn't know what he was doing there. They didn't know what his problem was, but I knew the Lord could use them without them knowing all that. Well, and I'm I'm continually walking back and forth across the platform, and I'm and in the spirit I, I I'm checking what's going on, feeling after that, and uh, I saw that Tom was doing the con- convulsions of a person who had uh, uh, a demon, and uh, I thought to myself, well, that's fine. Both those guys had cast out devils; they knew how to do it. I had confidence in them, and so I did. I left it alone. Well, uh, they kept praying, and Tom kept writhing, and and uh, he never got any deliverance. And I thought, well, that's strange. And because he wasn't one of our saints, uh, but he was on loan there to get some help, I thought, well, I better go down and handle this myself after a while. We've been praying a while. So I went down, and I walked uh, up to Tom, and I put my right hand on his head, and I began to cast the devil out. Nothing happened. Prayed again. Cast, commanded the devil to come out. Nothing happened. He just kept writhing. I did it again. Nothing happened. I backed up. And now I take my hand off his head and backed up and said, Lord, I've really messed up here somehow. What have I done wrong? I have never, ever, ever rebuked the devil commanded to come out in my life. He didn't come out. First time, this time. And so... Uh, I said, okay, Lord, what have I done? Tell me what it is. I'll repent. And the voice of the Lord spoke to me, something I'd never heard, never read, didn't know anything about. He said, he doesn't have a devil. This is his shame. I had never used the word shame from the time I first told Brother Stone King about my mother shaming me. I'd never used the word shame in all of my ministry. I never identified it as shame. It was just wounds and hurts and things that we need to be healed of. But the Lord said, it's, he doesn't have a devil. It's his shame. He can't forgive himself for what his uncle did to him. Forgive himself? I never heard anything like that in my life. And I went, okay, Lord, I guess. And then he reminded me of Acts twenty four sixteen, where Paul said, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience, void of offense toward God and toward men. And I guess I could, if I could be offended toward God, can I be offended toward myself? That's what I'm thinking. And then, okay, and if I have an offense toward God, even though he's done nothing wrong, for my sake, I have to let go of that offense. I have to release that offense. And that Greek word is what we translate as forgive. I have to release that offense that I'm holding against God. Well, what if I have blame against myself? What if I have shame to myself? What if I need to release my own grudge that I have against myself? What if shame is me punishing myself? And remember I said earlier, 
that shame is the root cause of all self-destructive behavior. Because of my shame, I punish myself because of what I can't forgive myself for doing. So all of that happened in just a few moments standing there, and I went, okay, Lord, I never heard this before, but I'm going to try this. So I walked around to the other side where I could get stand a little closer to Tom, and I put my hand on his forehead. And all I did was I whispered in his ear, Tom, you don't have a devil. This is shame. You can't forgive yourself for what your uncle did to you. I was not prepared for what what happened. You would have thought I gave him a left uh, uppercut right in the gut. He immediately just bowled, just bent over. I don't even know how he got down that far. It was almost like a, it was almost like his head was almost touching the ground. I mean, he was way down and wailing, wailing, just not just crying, wailing, grief, like I've. Never experienced anybody have it before. I went, whoa, to myself. I went, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? And uh, the Lord said, tell him to let me, to help him by my grace to forgive himself. So I, I got down there, whispered in Tom's ear, Tom, the Lord says for you to let him help you to forgive yourself for what your uncle did. You're blaming what happened to you on you. Even though you know your uncle did it, you're blaming yourself for this. And so I, uh, I, I, I kept praying in tongues, and every once in a while I'd say that to him again very slowly. I, at first I didn't even realize it was happening, but then all of a sudden I, I, I came to myself and realized that he was starting to slowly unbend. And the more he unbent, the less intense the grief was. And about the time he got where his back was parallel to the ground, that intense grief had stopped. And now he's starting to pray. And I, I said to him, well, Tom, let it go. Let it completely go. The Lord is able to take this out of you. He's able to help you to give it to him. And so he was doing that. He was praying in tongues, whatever, but I could feel the difference. And by the time he stood straight up, it's one of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my life. It was a greater miracle, in my opinion, raising the dead. Tom wasn't the same man. The guy that stood up had no grief whatsoever. He had joy. His face was absolutely beaming with joy. And he was talking in tongues with such victory. And I stood there for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, the Lord pointed another saint out to me, someone who's part of our church. And I knew their story. And immediately, he says, they can't forgive themselves for that. And I went, started praying for them. Same thing, not quite as intense a grief, but it was amazing. And when I was through with them, the Lord directed me to somebody else, told me and that night, that was the end of, that wasn't the end. That was not the end of the service, but that was that's what happened the rest of the night. I I prayed for probably twenty five plus people that night, and prayed what God had given me for Tom for them, and I saw changes in people's lives. The next day, I am uh, sitting in a 
counseling session on a Monday. We had church that night. It was in the afternoon, and uh, a uh, man in our church who was a lawyer, he and I were talking, and he said to me, what was that last night all about? Well, I hadn't had a chance to study it. The Lord hadn't said anything more to me about it than what he did before I prayed for Tom. But sitting right there talking to him, the Holy Ghost began to speak. And the Lord put scriptures together and brought light on scriptures like I'd never seen them before. And by the time he put it all together, two hours I talked to the man, and I, it just flowed. That was the revelation of shame that I have preached and taught about all these years ever since. The sad thing is, the first man to hear the revelation to this day has never acknowledged or allowed God to do the work in his life. And his shame destroyed his walk with God. Oh, he'd blame it on other things, but it was his shame. Destroyed his walk with God. It's amazing. The first person to hear the revelation, as it was directly right out of the horse's mouth, as the Holy Ghost was giving it and I was speaking it, now, the great thing was God let me go into my office after that session was over with, and he, he brought every bit of that back to my memory so I could write it down. And I have done two seminars on Shane. They're both on YouTube, uh, on Apostolic Iron Channel on YouTube. One of them, five sessions, one seven. And I'm asking, I'm saying to you right now, I'm going to minister. I'm going to talk to you about being healed from shame in this lesson, but not to the depth that I could go and did in those seminars. And I am strongly encouraging you, continue to watch this lesson, but then if you truly want to be healed whole, doesn't cost anything, and it's no, I won't even know you, who you are and that you're watching it, but you can go on Apostolic Iron Channel on YouTube, and there's two seminars on shame, one five videos, one seven videos, and God will continue the work that he's going to start in you, has started in you in this series of lessons. So here's that scripture, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is the first, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, he had come out of the wilderness after his 40 days of fasting, and he, he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And he went to the synagogue, and they asked him to read, and he read these verses, and then he concluded these verses in Luke chapter 4. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your, your ears. I call these verses the ministry of Jesus Christ to the world. But I'm also saying to you that Jesus Christ wants to do that same ministry through the body of Christ to this world today. There's never been a time there's been more hurting people in our world than there is today. And there's never been a time that people need more he deliverance and healing from shame so they can be whole to fully become all that God wants them to be. So Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of the Lord's acceptance. The word preach the gospel in the Greek is to announce good news. Your wholeness is good news. God's good news to you is he doesn't just want to save, forgive us of our sins and save us from sins, but he wants to make us whole from the effects of our sins 
in our lives and the effects of other people's sins upon us. The word poor there is the same one that it was translated in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. But this is poor uh, being distressed and destitute of spirit where all of that negativity is poured back on self. Blessed is uh, is anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To the poor. Those who are broken. Those that are hungry. Those who are in denial that there's things in them they can't deal with. But there's things they don't want to think about. And they don't want to be reminded of. Uh, you know, it's, you can die of surgery that you ignore. You can put off surgery because you don't want to go to the, through the pain and recovery of surgery and die of that cause when if you would have gone in time, that could be dealt with and you could be whole. My wife has had cancer three times. The first time God healed her without surgery. The second time uh, God told her only allowed to do a minor surgery and uh, the doctor was against that, but he finally agreed and, and, and uh, that she recovered from that. The last time, it was major. And the Lord told us in advance he wasn't going to heal her, that we were going to walk that journey. But she went through the procedure as much as she didn't want her to, want to, and I didn't want her to. That was the will of God. And she went through the procedure, and she's well today. And it's been six, seven years at least. Uh, and she's he- healthy, and there's no cancer in her body. Now, he dealt with it three different ways, three different times. So I don't know what the will of God is on any particular occasion. I don't know what the will of God is. I wouldn't take, I, I'm sorry she had to go through all that, but I wouldn't take anything for what he did in her life through that last journey and what he did in my life through walking that journey with her. But there are those that could get help who refuse to get help because they don't want to go through all that process. It is a process, and God uses the process, whatever it might be. So I'm begging you to let the Lord work in your life. So here's good news to those that are distressed and destitute of spirit. He had sent me, and that word sent is the verb form of apostle. An apostle is a called and sent one with authority and power to do something. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The word here means to cure or make whole. And the word broken here is really uh, uh, important because it means to crush completely, to shatter, to break in pieces, trodden down, trampled down, walked on, shattered strength. It is, uh, it's from two words, uh, the first word is process, and the second one is a rut or a worn track. It is uh, the brokenhearted are those who are crushed, not by any single event, by, but by a, a, an accumulation, a large accumulation of small hurts till they become big. You can die from feathers. It's possible to pile enough feathers on you. If you lay on the ground, it's possible to pile enough feathers on you that those feathers will kill you. And so he came to heal and the brokenhearted, those that are crushed under a myriad of, of words that were said that were unkind, of, of slights and different things, not, not, not a bunch of major things necessarily, 
but just crushed. Crushed by the accumulations of the negative things of life that you've not been able to trust God with. He sent me to preach, the Lord says, to preach deliverance to the captives. The word captive there means a prisoner of war, not someone who is possessed of the devil, but someone who is bound by him. You're still alive. You're still who you are. You're still a a citizen of your country, but you are a prisoner of war. You haven't switched sides in the battle. You haven't become possessed, but you're you're so bound by things in your life. Prisoner of war. And the word preach there means to proclaim deliverance, to speak deliverance. Deliverance in Jesus' name. The word deliverance means to release from bondage, forgiveness or pardon for sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed. That's what God wants to do. And to also proclaim, to speak the word of authority for the recovering of sight to, to, uh, 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 to the blind. And, and this means to see again, again, to discern with the eye again, to see with the mind's eye again. So it's not the people that have never been saved who are blind. It's those who who worse are saved, but things and circumstances have brought blindness to them, the recovering of sight to the blind. So it's possible for shame to come into a person's life after they're saved because they didn't deal with whatever it was they were going through God's way, and they need to see the truth again. To set at liberty them that are bruised. And this is uh, even more so. The word set means to, to order one to go to an appointed place, to allow one to depart that he may be in a state of liberty or freedom. And uh, the word liberty is the same word as deliverance earlier in the verse. Release from bondage, forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed. And here's, here's the, what the word bruised means. Bruise is to crush, to shadow through, broke, uh, shatter through, or broken by calamity. This is different. He, he sent me to, to bind up the brokenhearted. These are a multitude of wounds that, that need to be healed. And if they are spiritually doctored and uh, sewn up and bound up and bandaged uh, spiritually, they will heal. It's not an instantaneous miracle, but it's a process. But that's not the case for the person that's bruised. And to crush, to shatter through, broken by calamity. I was not crushed. I was bruised by being molested. It is a, a, a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events that so damage a person and the way they see themselves and feel about themselves, they actually become in bondage to it and they need to be set free from it. The person that's crushed needs to be healed. The person that is bruised, needs to be delivered. Some, some have, some of us, and that would be me, uh, had to have some, some, both of those happen in our lives. We had to have both of those. We needed both healing and deliverance. And here's the problem. If I leave wounds open, they get infected, and infected wounds will not heal. So what is the infection of spiritual wounds, emotional wounds, bitterness, resentment? So I need to get delivered of that spirit of bitterness or resentment. 
and that spirit of shame that uses that opening as an access to lie to me about me. I need to get delivered from that so that I can then be bound up, ministered to, doctored spiritually, and bound up and healed. So this is all a process. I'm reading to you a couple of different translations here just so that you get the full impact of this. Uh, Luke chapter 8 verses, uh, chapter 4 verses 18 through 19 from the Living Bible. And again, Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61. You can read, uh, the, 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 uh, the, he, uh, <coughs> Old Testament verses, version of those verses by reading Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 or 4, whatever it would be. So, uh, the Living Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and announce that, and, and announce that captives shall be released and the blind shall see. And, uh, that the downtrodden shall be freed from their oppressors and that, that God is ready to give blessings to all who come to him. Amplified reads this way. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, uh, the anointed one, the Messiah, to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce releases to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set, for, set forth, uh, delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised and crushed and broken down by calamity to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation of the free, flav- free favors of God profusely abound. Uh, this is, it is God's time for deliverance. It's God's time for healing for you, my friend. It's God's time. You have made it through part two of this series. You want to be right. You want to do right. You want to be whole. You want to please God. It, to do that, you need to be whole. And you need those things taken out of there that are keeping you from being whole. You need to see with God's eyes instead of the eyes of shame. The Lord wants to do that. I'm reading Weiss expanded translation of the New Testament. The Lord's Spirit is upon me because he anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me on a mission to proclaim release to those release uh, to those held captive and recovery of sight to those who are blind, to send away and release those who are broken by calamity, to herald forth the epical period of time when the Lord has cho- which the Lord has chosen and in which he takes uh, pleasure. This is what God is wanting to do for you. This is what God is wanting to do. But let me talk a little bit more here. And uh, this video is going to be a little longer than the others, but you're important and it's important to take the time for you to be able to help point you in the right direction so you can get whole, can be free in Jesus' name. Uh, The goal here for God is that there's nothing in us the adversary can use against us and our walk with God. Jesus declared this before his crucifixion. Herein I will not just John 14, 30. Here and I will not talk with you much, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The Amplified translates it this way. Uh, the classic uh, edition of the Amplified. I will not talk with you much more, for the prince, evil genius, ruler of this of the world is coming. And he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. There's nothing in me. Uh, there, he, he has no power over me. The uh, 
15 edition of the Amplified says this way, I will not speak with you much longer for the ruler of the world, Satan is coming and he has no claim on me, no power over me, nor anything that he can use against me. Uh, the United Bible Society translators new, uh, handbook for the New Testament reads this way. The context supports the meaning given by the uh, today's English version and many other translations. He has no power over me, may be rendered as he is not able to control me or command me. In other words, my friend, wounds are from the adversary. Offenses are from the adversary. They are not of God. God is not the author of them. He's not the author of confusion. He's not the author of offenses. He's not the author of hurts. So the adversary wants to use these things in us to give him power over us, to give uh, to, to use as his uh, right to try to convince us he has a claim on us because those things are there. But that's not true. It's a lie. He does not have a claim on you. He does not have power over you. There are things, though, that we need out of us. So we can say with Jesus, there's nothing in me that he was the author of. There's nothing in me that belongs to him. I have flesh, and it is sinful nature, but he's not the author of that. My flesh came from my father. Yes, he had flesh, I've got flesh. But the wounds and things are in me. God's not the author of them, and they don't belong to God. And you don't have to continue to live with them. And you can be free. All of your wounds, just like this scar, all of your wounds can be healed. And all of the pain from them go. The reason I have told my story about being molested to thousands of people. I've told it to large, large audiences and told it to one-on-one people that the Lord was ministering to through me more times than I can possibly remember. But I've told it without shame without embarrassment, without negative feelings. Why? Because I'm healed. My wounds are healed. I'm healed. I have no embarrassment over that. It happened to me. In fact, i tell you how healed the Lord has made me. Healed enough that I have thanked God that he trusted me to go through that, even as a child that did not, that was not uh, uh, saved in the sense of being born again of water and the Spirit. I was still under the time of innocence, but I was five years old. He trusted me to go through that because that has given me a testimony of healing that God has been able to use in my life to say to others, he doesn't love me more than you. He loves you just as much as me, and he's no respecter of persons. And if I had this happen to me, and I suffered for 33 years with it, but he delivered me, he set me free, he made me whole, he'll do the same for you, my friend, because he doesn't love me more than you. And in everything he's done for me in healing and wholeness, giving me righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, he's willing to do for you too. He's willing to do that. The scripture says, and this is a verse that in the King James that doesn't have the impact that the scripture has in the uh, original, but shame is uh, timidity. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the Greek word there is timidity. Timidity has two elements to it, the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. That's what shame does. Shame causes me to fear failure. 
And if I fail, it beats me up and causes me to beat myself up. And I fear rejection. I fear failing because I fear the rejection that failure may produce. That's timidity. It paralyzes. Fear from God, which is phobos in the Greek, the fear of the Lord motivates. The Bible says of Noah, uh, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear to the saving of his household. Prepared an ark. Moved with fear. Prepared an ark to the saving of his household. Fear moved him. Fear motivated him. Fear, uh, 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 true fear, the fear of the Lord caused him to do what God wants him to do. But timidity, timidity is contrary to God because timidity causes us to be paralyzed. And we can't do that because we fear failure and fear rejection. The scripture says definitively, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. And this is the only time this Greek word timidity is found anywhere in the Greek New Testament. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Notice, timidity is not a product of what happened to us, but what the, it's a product of what the devil has said to us about what happened to us, and we believe that. We took ownership of those thoughts and feelings, thinking that was us. It's not you. Those thoughts and feelings are not you. They're a spirit of timidity. And until you're willing to acknowledge that the adversary is lying to you, you're not possessed, but it is the devil through the, through our wounds speaking to us. And he doesn't have influence, but if we believe what he's saying, then we become paralyzed by, what, by our faith in what the devil says. Well, the Lord wants you to be free by having faith in what God says. He wants you to have faith in that. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Amplified says it this way, for God has not given us the spirit of timidity, of cowardice and craven, cringing and fawning fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Or literally, the Greek word means, he has given us the spirit of a saved mind. And the word mind is uh, our thoughts and feelings at the deepest part of us. God wants us to have a saved mind. The word saved there is uh, sozo, which is not just salvation. It can, in context, it can be salvation, healing, wholeness, deliverance, rescue. So we use that word for spiritual salvation in the context. But it's much broader than that. God has given us not the spirit of timidity, fear of failure, fear of rejection, but he's given us the spirit of power that we might be free, the spirit of love to know that he's accepted us and love us and to empower us to change. And then finally, finally, when we get whole, he gives us the spirit of right thinking or saved thoughts that are not the, 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 the thoughts of Satan. And we reject those thoughts in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. It is the will of God for us to be saved from shame and healed from shame. God's method of solving the problem of shame is very specific and is very effective. It is not based on psychology. The problem with medical science when it comes to shame is the best they can do is help you cope. I've had apostolics who are trained counselors trained psychologists and psychiatrists acknowledge 
that the best that the medical profession can do is help you to cope. And a lot of times they have to use medication to do that because they tell you once you are an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. Once you're a drug addict, you're always a drug addict. Well, what about once I'm an, uh, an adulterer, I'm always an adulterer. Once I'm a molester, I'm always a molester. Once I'm a thief, I'm always a thief. Once I'm a murderer, I'm always a murderer. Wrong. No, it's not. And such were some of you. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 6, verses 9 through 10 and 11. And such were some of you, but God, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were, you were justified, you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. So we're not talking about psychology here, except that the word psychology is psychias, the Greek word for soul, and ology is the, the root word there is word, or the ology is the study of word, or the study of the soul. There's only one true psychology book in all of the, the world. I don't use other psychology books. I, the book I use on the study of the soul is the word of God. So Romans 7, 24 through 25 tells us God is a healer and deliverer. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. What a perfect description of shame. Oh, wretched man that I am. And the feelings I have about myself because of shame. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? For the things in me that are causing me to be dead spiritually. I thank my God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the will of God for that to be the case. It is the will of God and the plan of God and the promise of God to make each one of us a new person in God. Listen to these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. When something is passed away, it's not living anymore. It has no more ability to affect you, whether good or bad. Behold, all things have become new. It is the will of God for us to let the Lord, by his grace, his word, his power, his authority, his name, his blood, make us whole. And that all of those old things would die and their effect on us would just become memories with no pain, no shame, no negative thoughts or feelings. Galatians 6.15 For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. It's not about religion. It's about not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about getting healed and becoming new. New. Ezekiel 36, 26, in one of the prophecies about the the coming new covenant. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That is a promise guaranteed as a part of the new covenant. But many of us are like Lazarus. Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. He was dead. But the Jews were doing what they had learned in Egypt before they came out of bondage. And they would, uh, they would wrap their dead in what they call grave clothes. They didn't actually mummify them because they buried them that day. That was was Jewish law. But they would wrap them in grave clothes before they put them in a tomb or a grave. 
So when Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead, he was dead, now he's alive. But he's standing up, and obviously the Lord had to stand him up because he's in these grave clothes, bound from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, wrapped, bound. And Jesus said to the disciples, loose him and let him go. So he was dead, he's now alive, but he's still bound by the vestiges of death. It is the calling of God for the church to have the ministry, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us to pray for people, to loose them and let them go free. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. God calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He comes us out of bondage into freedom. He calls us to that. But let's face facts. Myself and a lot of others I've known who were saved still, still struggle with stuff. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I had the Holy Ghost. I'd been baptized in Jesus' name. I was called to preach. I was being used of God. I had results. But most of the time, didn't like myself. The rest of the time, I hated myself. I didn't even know why I had those feelings. I didn't know what shame was. I didn't know the, know the impact of those things in my life. But they did have an impact on me. And then Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, that you put off concern of the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in Christ Jesus and true holiness. This is a product process. It's a process. Nobody is born mature, but God saves us like we are, knowing we needed, as infants, we need help to even stay alive. But we grow in that process. And in that process, he begins the process of setting us free, free from the things that are past so that we can become brand new in him. One of the key elements of his plan to make us new is to neutralize the effects of the works of the kingdom of darkness. First John chapter 3, uh, John said this, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil that he might destroy the works of the devil. The Greek word there, destroy, mean is the Greek word luo, which is found in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19. But unto you I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you luo on earth shall be luoed in heaven. So uh, the grammar there is literally in the Greek, Whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. It is the will of God in heaven for people to be loosed of the effects of the works of the devil in their life. It's the will of God. The word luo means to loosen. Uh, according to Strong's Vine says it's to loose, to dissolve, to sever, to break, demolish. And uh, Vine says, from John, 1 John 1, 3, 8, which the chapter, 1 John 3, verse 8, which I just read to you. It's of the works of the devil to loosen, especially by way of deliverance. That's what vine says the word means. 
uh, the complete biblical dictionary says it means to loose, untie, set free, destroy, break up, abolish. And then finally, Thayer says it means to loose any person or thing tied or fastened, to loose one bound, to unbind, to release from bondage. It is the will of God for you and I to be set free. It is the will of God for us to be set free. It's the will of God. Now, I told you about the night, February the 15th, 1993, when the Lord ministered shame and delivered me from shame when I didn't really fully understand it. And then the next day he gave me the revelation and I just wrote down what he said. I didn't go studying it. Whatever he said to me, I wrote it down. And I then I studied it and found out it's exactly what the word of God says. And much of what was taught in part three, uh, part two here of this series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, is still taken from that original revelation. Now, what I didn't tell you was this. I thought I had been fully healed of shame back in 1984 when Brother Stone King prayed for me. I did not understand the process because shame begets shame. And God always deals with the root of the matter to kill the entire tree. So he spoke to the fig tree and cursed it. When did the fig tree die? Days later when they saw it withered up or did it die when he spoke it? It's, he spoke it at the roots and roots are that are those things that are not visible. The things that are causing us the most trouble, the things we bury the deepest that are not regularly in our conscious mind. And the Lord speaks to the roots and kills the roots. Well, he did that in my life when Brother Stone King prayed for me. But it was a process for the trunk to die, then the branches to die, and finally the leaves to die and fall off because that which was giving them lives from the roots, those original things that were buried out of my consciousness. A root is not something in your regular, regularly in your conscious mind. It, it isn't. I did my best to not think about being molested and could go weeks and months sometimes without it ever crossing my mind because I didn't know what to do with it. So I'd pray and repent all over again and eventually force it down out of my conscious mind. It still affected me, but I didn't know the source of what I was doing. I would lose it sometimes, just angry, and not know where that came from. What makes me so angry? This doesn't make sense. I, I, my anger is totally disproportionate to what I'm angry about. That's right. Because what I'm angry about or what triggered the anger was some kind of rejection. And it might have been relatively minor comparatively, but it triggered all that other stuff. And here I am blowing up, so to speak. And so... As I told you already earlier about righteousness, the revelation God gave me when we were in Bermuda for our 20th anniversary honeymoon. Uh, and I said to him, I'm a sinner, always going to be a sinner. And he said, yep, you're right. But I'm righteous and you're, I'm in you. I'm good. I'm righteous. I'm in you. So you're good and righteous because I'm in you. I told you all about that. Well, that was 1988. It was four years after I'd been healed. But again, shame had begot shame. And all I dealt with when Brother Stone King prayed for me was the root. And the root of all of it started with being molested. But that shame had begotten shame over the years. Every failure became more something more to be 
uh, ashamed of or be have shame over. Every rejection became something more in the layers and levels of that. So here I am in 1993, and I, that first night I ministered for, and, and I, yeah, but now now that the door's unlocked, I'm ministering to people all the time, but I never dealt with myself. Well, there was a family in the church that was causing major trouble, and they were trying to split this church bad. And my mind was so full of confusion, and I didn't know what was wrong with me, and I and it hadn't been like this, but now it was. And I was so afraid of rejection and so afraid of failure because this was the case. And I knew that God had already healed me, but uh, and I knew whatever. But I, I didn't think there was anything left in me to uh, be healed of. But I was so full of shame and fear. And when you've got shame, you've got fear. You're battling fear. And King James says God's not given us the spirit of fear. Because fear has torment, but it's a specific kind of fear. It's timidity, fear of failure, fear of rejection. And so uh, it was October of 1993, and that, so six months plus that I'd had this revelation, actually closer to eight, and uh, I was terrified. Things were going horrible. It was These folks had all kind of people over their house, key people, that they were, they were trying to divide this church over this stuff. And uh, I didn't know what to do. And I'm afraid that all that we, that God had done up to now, 18 years worth of ministry in this city was going to be destroyed or at least severely damaged. And uh, I brought my youngest son to school that morning. Uh, and we had a church school. My mother, my mother, my wife was in charge of the school. And a lot of times I'd bring him to school and I'd go home uh, and I'd do my study and praying there. But we had a prayer room, an awesome prayer room, a place where you could feel the presence of angels just about any time you went in. And so uh, I dropped him off and started to go home, and I, and, the, and I really felt that the Lord was saying, no, go in here and pray. And I walked in that room, and uh, I realized how desperate I was when he said, and why is it you've not forgiven yourself of all this? So God delivered me of shame, but I had not yet let him give me the grace to forgive myself, and I blamed myself. I forgave my mother. I forgave that boy, but I hadn't forgiven myself. So God was dealing with my heart, dealing with my life, and I just started, and I started uh, I just, just the way I felt to say it. Father, by your help and grace, I forgive and release myself for and then I would fill in the blank of something that was a source of shame and that I I had negative feelings over. And it was wild. As soon as I said that, something else would come to mind. And for about 30 minutes, I'm saying this stuff. I'm not feeling anything. There were no tears. There were no. I wasn't shaking and quaking. I, I didn't have goosebumps. But I knew I was being compelled in that atmosphere to speak these things. And so it, as long as things came, I, I just kept saying it. As soon as I'd speak one thing, I'd leave my mind, another thing would come. Father, by your help and grace, I forgive and release myself for, and I would name the thing. And there were some things there that, to my rational mind, didn't make any sense. I didn't make the choice to be molested, just to give you an example. I wasn't making a choice to be molested. I wasn't making the choice to do some uh, perverted act. 
But I blame myself for that. So I had to say, Father, by my help, by your help and grace, I forgive and release myself for being molested. Maybe your parents split up, or maybe your one of your parents died, and you felt abandoned. And it may, doesn't make sense, but we're not talking about facts. We're talking about emotions. We're talking about wounds and the emotions that they've opened us up to. So I'm trying to close these wounds so that I can be whole. So I did this. Well, after about a half hour, all of a sudden, I started feeling something for the first time. Well, that really encouraged me to keep going, and, and it just kept coming. I mean, almost like a machine gun. About the time I left my mouth, something else would come. It just started to slow down, but I kept waiting, and a new thing would come. I mean, the entire lifespan of my life at that point, things that would come. And uh, I would uh, I would ask I would speak, Father, by your help and grace, I forgive and release myself for, and I'd fill in that blank. About uh, 45 minutes into that, all of a sudden, I, I don't have my eyes closed. I'm walking. I'm walking when I'm doing this. I'm not even kneeling down, not laying down. I'm walking and praying in this prayer room. And uh, all of a sudden, I thought to myself, somebody turned the lights on in here. But then I realized, I turned the lights on when I came in here. So why is it all of a sudden this whole room feels brighter? And then it came to me. All this time, I've been battling for, for months and months and months now. I've been battling this, this cloud in my mind. It was, it was just like it was, I could see, but I never could see clearly. And I, I couldn't focus. And then I realized that over the last couple of months, my shame, it was activated, my fear, over fear of, of failure and, and, and whatever, that it was causing my, it was hindering my ability to hear from God like I was used to. And so I, I'm praying about stuff, but I'm not getting any answers because my shame was hindering my ability to be sensitive to God because my fear wasn't about the will of God not being done. My fear wasn't about God not being glorified. My fear was I was going to be a failure and I was going to be rejected. These people were going to walk away. Well, by this time, the, that process had slowed down significantly. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't praying. I wasn't asking for anything. I was trying to get free. All of a sudden, the Lord said, in the church, do this, 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 and this. He didn't say what was going to happen. He just said, do that. Well, I prayed a little while longer. And uh, it basically had slowed, and so I left. And uh, over the next, the, over the rest of that day, and over the next several weeks, and some month or more, every once in a while, a new memory would come—a memory of something in the past, a hurtful, painful memory, something to make me angry, or make me ashamed, or whatever it was, or cause confusion, or open door of fear. And every time it would come, at that moment, I would say. Father, by your help and grace, I forgive and release myself for this. And go away. And eventually, all those memories stopped coming. And any time I was ever in a situation that reminded me of it, I didn't have any negative feelings about it. Well, the very two nights later, after that prayer meeting, which I believe was on a Tuesday, it was church Thursday night. And I got up and I said, church, we're going to, I didn't say why. 
I didn't say anything about any of it. I just said what God told me to say. We're going to do this, 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 and this. this these four things. And that night, we started those four things. And within two weeks, that family left and nobody would go with them. They weren't willing to repent. I never confronted them. I never even talked to them about what they were doing. But God tried to deal with them and they wouldn't be dealt with. And they left because I wouldn't cave under the pressure they had me under to do what they thought ought to be done in the church because that's what they were doing. They were trying to run the church and I wouldn't cave it. But nobody went with them. I'm saying to you, my friend, Jesus wants you to accept his love unconditionally. Jesus wants us to be, wants us to forgive ourselves of the grudge of shame, all of our self-blame, all of our, all those things we talk to ourselves so negatively about. He wants to reveal to us, he is making us whole into his image. He's wanting to cover us with his righteousness and innocence. And he's wanting to use us in such a way that it fulfills his purpose for us in our lives. He wants that to be the case. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, I speak the word of authority as deliverance. I I bind the spirit of shame that's lying to you about yourself because of those things that have happened to you. I command that voice to be silenced. I command you to be set free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, be free. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak the grace of God to heal you of every wound, to give you the grace to that you would, by his grace, let him help you to forgive and be released for everything that you blame yourself for, that's an open door for the things you say to yourself about yourself for everything that you believe makes you unacceptable to God and opens the door for people to reject you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to be free. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to be whole. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I I, I appreciate your response in this journey of wholeness. And I'm going to say to you again, I am strongly encouraging you. Because this was only a, this wasn't even a full hour of ministry on this subject. And, and, and you've got a lifetime of stuff that God wants to set you free from and heal you so that you can be whole, set you free from all the shame you may have over any of that. I'm encouraging you, please, for your sake, for the kingdom's sake, that you would watch the, the, the seminars, which were really ministry to, to shame, five lessons and seven lessons on my channel on YouTube, Apostolic Iron. God bless you. You don't ever have to tell me, tell me you watch me. I don't even ever need to know. It's between you and God. But God wants you to be whole so that you can have right motives, so you can be spiritually humble, and so that he can use you for his purposes in your kingdom. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is so. In Jesus' name, let it be so. God bless you in Jesus' name. I love you. The Lord loves you. And he loves you through me. Amen.